Hey, Richard. Hey, Marco. Beer me. Okay. Pint, please. Uh, halves only. Halves only? Yep, halves only. Why is that? Shortest digital noise ever. Ever. Welcome to Digital Noise, which, as we said, is the shortest ever. Potentially. Potentially. We could get long We could get rambly, but this is a very short list of, uh, of, of uh, titles. I'm, by the way, I'm Richard. I'm Marco. Yep. Uh, and the reason, I will explain why it is a short list of titles so you don't feel like you're wasting your time, is because it's January. And if you think that the cinemas <laughs> are uh, full of a dearth uh, of movies and you're still dealing with stuff that came out in December and the odd straggly little title that you go... What? Why would I? Why would I do that? That is nothing compared to the DVD racks at the moment. <laughs> yeah. No, but don't be scared. We've got some good titles. There are in the some mix. really, really great titles because this is also the time of year where there's so little out there that a lot of smaller distribution houses take a little bit of a risk, yeah. put out something a little more interesting, a little bit edgier, a little bit that you know people may not have thought about. There's in, uh, there's one here that I literally had not thought about, and I think about thirty years. Oh yeah, which wow. we'll we'll get to. But, first of all... Looking forward to that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, as always, for tuning into Digital Noise, part of the one of us, uh, .net family. Um, uh, thanks to our subscribers. Uh, big shout-out to them. You can become a subscriber uh, very simply. Uh, it's just a monthly payment. Uh, it gets you access to the forums, gets you access to all kinds of exclusive material at the lowest levels. Then you get automatic access to The Breakfast Pub, uh, which is our weekly news show where it's me or Chris or some crazy person going through all the trailers and film news and pop culture news. Uh, then above that, the next level, you get the access to the uh, Theog podcast. And if you go all the way up, then you get access to things like uh, weekly um, uh, commentary tracks for, for films that you will love and that we hopefully bring something new and fascinating to. Um uh, if you look at the, down this page, as we're talking about films, uh, you'll see there's a link, nice little picture, mm -hmm. and a link, and that will take you to the Amazon page for every single title. And if you like what we say about a film, or you think we're completely wrong and want to buy it anyway, if you buy it from that link, we actually get a kickback. A tiny little bit of the pie. Yeah, it helps subsidize the, the site, which we super appreciate. And not only that, but if you buy through that link, then actually anything that you get on that trip to Amazon. If you've come from the site, we get something from that. So that, you know, if you're going to buy shoelaces, click through one of ours. You know, buy a lot of shoelaces, yeah, kids. We, we actually somebody you buy can a never be too prepared. Famously, somebody bought a fridge, and we got a, a, a partial, we got a little bit of money from Amazon back for that, which mm. helps pay for the site. So absolutely anything helps. Uh, obviously, a uh, quick note uh, about uh, our glorious sponsors and affiliates. Uh, Sideshow Collectibles, who, uh, thank you for coming aboard. Uh, if you have ever seen some of the most gorgeous uh, rare collectibles out there, you know some of their Star Wars stuff and some of their Marvel oh, stuff yeah. is just insane. I don't collect this stuff, but I've seen some of their material online, and their 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 little three sixty beautiful, absolutely film accurate looking productions, gorgeous work. If you're feeling like indulging yourself with something really beautiful and, and geeky around the house, you cannot beat Sideshow Collectibles, and also. 
if you ever listen to any of um, our uh, reviews from the uh, the uh, unreliable from our unreliable reviewer side of things, uh, you can now buy tickets for all the films we review and everything else that's out there through Fandango. So click right. on the link and go to Fandango and uh, buy your film tickets. And, and uh, that is, unless you want to stay home and watch one of the titles we're talking about this week. You could do worse things. Yeah. So Some of these get... films are quite good today. <coughs> you know what? What is that, Richard? You know what we should do? We should review something. Oh, I'm going to go with reviews. Yes, let's get into it. Starting with, and uh, you know, you know what? What is that? I am going to do something here because I admit, I will admit, I actually missed the first title this week because oh, uh, it's been a week from hell. But <laughs> this is why why there's two of us around on That's all right. occasions so that Marco can can bring you and me because I know. Basically nothing about this film. Uh, Bradley nobody Cooper knows anything in about it. Burnt. Burnt, yes. Uh, nobody knew anything about this film. I certainly didn't. This completely went under my radar, and I think for good reason. It's not a particularly high-profile film, but it's not a horrible film. Uh, Burnt, starring Bradley Cooper. It's the story of a hotshot sort of rock and roll chef. Uh, he was not a, Anthony Bourdain. No, not Anthony. But Bourdain. kind of in that mold. He was sort of an enfant to read back in the day. Uh, then he lost it all because of drugs and alcohol. He goes into a self-imposed exile, comes back after years of being off the grid, essentially, and decides to start his own restaurant. He's now clean. He's sober, and he is obsessed with getting his third Michelin star. Which, if you know anything about. Uh, food criticism, the third Michelin star is like the holy grail uh, for chefs. It's like a triple handy. It, it really is. Only, you know, uh, much more uh, reputable. Uh, anyway. Hey, good uh, way you go. Well, you know. Yeah. That's another conversation. <laughs> so, Bradley Cooper uh, is the uh, the titular character. Uh, what is his name? Not a titular character. <laughs> yes, he is Bert. I can't even remember. His sh- name is Bert. It there should, should be. be a chef called Bert. He's burnt out. You get it? Yeah. Uh, he's been it's burnt before. It's almost like it's symbolic. Uh, anyways, he comes back. He puts together a kind of dream team. Conveniently, everybody he knew back in the day in Paris is now somehow based in London. And so he goes over and starts his own restaurant and battles with his demons and learns how to be nice with people and put together a good team. I'm kind of giving it short shrift. Uh, It's not a terrible movie. Uh, It'll have some entertainment value if you like food porn. Beautiful shots of food. Lots of description of food. Lots of high-tension, you know, uh, scenes in the the kitchen. The thing about Burnt and... uh, I, I was wondering if you were had actually gotten to see it, because uh, Richard always has this thing. Uh, certain films, usually the ones I'm not terribly fond of, <laughs> but certain films he categorizes as uh, pizza and beer movies. Movies that, you know, they kind of meet the low bar they've set for themselves, they're, and they're best enjoyed with some friends over a pizza and a beer. This movie, I'd say, deserves its own little category, what I like to think of as the low-risk first date movie you know you've met somebody they're very nice you don't know anything about them you don't know their tastes so you're gonna go do the whole traditional dinner and a movie route you go through the listings and you think oh that's too weird that's too violent that's too creepy that's too gross after a while you've whittled down all your choices and you know what you're gonna end up with a movie like burnt it's bills itself as a romantic comedy it has some of those elements but it's really more of a drama uh, I don't think it's a ber- terrible movie at all. 
Uh, and if it sounds it, like I'm there, damning it with faint praise, I guess I am. Is there anybody but, safer and more anodyne it, it, than Bradley Cooper? A man who... You put him in something like Silver Linings Playbook, yeah. which is a which is a film about loss, obsession, um, mm-hmm. and and deep depression. Well, this and is very much like, in his wheelhouse. It's still then. like, oh, it's kind of cute, which you, is really weird. I don't know how he gets away with it. He he is a, just a he's a cantankerous son of a bitch who happens to be a master chef, and everybody either hates him or loves him. Sometimes a combination of both. It's got a big cast of interesting characters. You know, there's some laughs, there's great shots of food. If you like that kind of thing and you want to take that uh, perhaps potentially special someone to something that's not going to ruffle any feathers, you'll have a good time with this. This could be a good Netflix and chill kind of movie. Because, hey, if you're doing well, you're not even going to remember about this movie. So. And this is, it's kind of weird because this is by John Wells. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I know that name from somewhere. He's like, this is a guy who's done so much TV work over the years. Yeah. He was ER, he was Third Watch, um... This feels very Southland, much in that wheelhouse. The, the, yeah, which nobody really remembers. You know, West Wing, he he was actually the showrunner on West Wing is for, that right? for three seasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is a guy who's like, you know, he's a TV guy, but he does seem to be moving more and more into film. Yeah. Uh, directed, I can see the benefit um, of his ensemble cast work. Yeah. That, direct, that's on pl- at play here. Directed uh, August Osaki uh, County back in 2013, which nobody really saw or cared yeah, about. Yeah, he, he's, he's a prestige picture. I mean, this is basically, you know... Uh, it's Bradley Cooper. It's competently made. Like I said, you're not going to risk anything going to see this movie. It's not going to really... It's not It's not a gourmet meal, even though it's about people who prepare gourmet meals. Suffice it to say, this is my low-risk first date choice for the week. It feels which is probably like a, the only film that I would use that description it, for. Basically, I've described this as like a, a silver-service version of Jean Favreau's Chef. Yes, well, That's a good... That that was what I thought this was going to be. Chef has actually a little more heart. Again, if you you will you will see every beat coming. There's a little bit of ginned up suspense because, you know, there's this rival drug gang that, you know, he still owes money to from back in the day. And there's a co-worker who he screwed over years ago and still has a lot of animosity. Jesus, they really you know? should just send Bourdain it's... a check at this point. <laughs> This really does feel like an unsanctioned it, biopic. Yeah, it really does. I, I think, you know, some people will like this film if they're into this whole food obsession that the country seems to be in the grips of these days. Best food movie, name it. Uh, I want to say Babette's Feast. That was uh, yeah, a long time ago. No, we're done. We're, we're, you know, totally, total agreement. No film has ever shown food in a more wonderful way that makes you want to go, I wish I could eat the screen. Yeah. It's uh, you haven't seen it, folks. You really should. It it's it's been years since Danish I've seen it. comedy in a lot of ways uh, about uh, puritanism and, and uh, enjoyment, but mm-hmm. as, as with food as the metaphor, rather than you know, most people would have gone for something more direct, like you know, boobs. But yeah. it's it's really a joyous little piece of cinema. I don't know. I think that sounds much more appealing. It is. It's a much better. That's a much better <coughs> date movie than this. But like I said, this is low risk because you don't know. The girl may be nice, but she may not be in a foreign films. Here, it's got Bradley Cooper. It's got pretty attractive people eating even more attractive food. So you can't go wrong if that's your only uh, if that's all you want out of it. 
Spe- speaking speaking of, of uh, dating, a date movie of a very different stripe. Mm. Ah, see, I see where the you're segues going. as always. Uh, Meet the Patels. Meet the Patels, which um, yes. wasn't really on my radar uh, prior to this, but it's surprisingly charming. Uh, you took it, the words out of my mouth. Charming is, was the word I was going to use. It is movie. that most dangerous of conceits: uh, a documentary rom com. Yeah, and it could easily come off as a vanity piece, but somehow it manages to work. Uh, this is a documentary uh, filmed by, uh, and I'm, you're going to have Ra- to have uh, me Ravi with Patel. his sister. I know yes, Ravi Patel. It's, Ravi Patel uh, is the uh, focus of it. Ravi um, Patel and his sister, whose name I'm blanking, she's essentially the co-director of this film. Uh, she's rarely on I, I, screen. Yes, but she's actually not a particularly good cinematographer, which is one, no, of, the first one of the first jokes. jokes. Like, he goes, yeah, uh, she's actually a really good documentarian. But really not a very good cinematographer, which explains why there's a lot of shots of the inside of my nostrils. This is really a long extended series of home movies cut together. But uh, Ravi Patel is an actor who looks vaguely familiar. He's one of those guys Uh, who shows up in a lot of... Gita. uh, Gita Patel. He shows up in a lot of movies, usually as doctors. Uh, He's an an Indian-American actor uh, who is the first generation uh, born in America. His parents... Uh, are very traditional Indians who moved into uh, America in the 60s. And he talks about having this sort of double life growing up, where he's very uh, he's very ingrained with this culture, uh, which he loves and respects. However, he also grows up as an all-American kid, and it's kind of a classic story of these two values coming uh, to head with one another. What's, what's really nice about this is that this... You know, as you could expect, inevitably is going to run headfirst into the issue of arranged marriage. Right. Because the whole point is that he's reached this point in his life where his parents, his parents are going, look, you really need to be married by now. And he was raised at, you know, at the end of the day as a first-generation migrant of you know, Gujarat Patels from an area of the world where... I think that they said 80% of the population <coughs> is called Patel. Yeah. And if you're a Gujarat Patel, you marry another Gujarat Patel. And, and, it's not, not, and not the Patels from that adjoining territory. Yeah, and it's not, There's not like, you know, you know, up here in the rural parts of Appalachia, we only marry our cousins. It's that everybody is called Patel. Yeah. And there is an expectation that you will marry within your class and within your caste and within your region. Well, there is a little <laughs> secret that is uh, let out very yeah. early on that um, he hasn't actually informed his parents... But he actually, the real reason that he's suddenly thinking, well, maybe this arranged marriage thing is for me, is that he just got out of his first ever real relationship uh, with a woman who is very definitely not a Patel, but in fact a red-haired American white woman. Absolutely. Which he's not let his parents know. So there's this tension all the way through, and his sister's like, I'm not telling him, you can tell him. Well, and the thing, one reason I wanted to point out his sister so much, because she is, apart from being kind of a cinematographer, co-narrator, Really, his confidant, as well as his roommate and fellow filmmaker, and she herself at some point admits, like, I'm in the same boat. You know, our parents are breathing down our necks to get married. They want us to, you know, do this in a very traditional way, and I'm doing the same thing. And what I found fascinating about this documentary, uh, not only the the whole reason why you meet so many people in America named Patel, uh which, as Ravi uh, Patel says, my name is basically John Smith in India. It's that common. But uh, it makes a really interesting argument for arranged marriage. Now, where I found this was 
where I found this interesting is I thought he was going to have a very sort of uh, uh, condescending attitude towards this idea. <coughs> Excuse me. But it actually does a really good job of saying, look, we've done this for many years. It works and look at us, we're really happy. And, you know, he says, my parents are the happiest couple I have ever known. And yet, they knew each other for all of about ten minutes before their wedding night. So he starts thinking, well, you know what? I've tried the American route where I get to know everybody first and then decide whether I want to commit. Maybe I should explore this. And his parents all but fall on their knees in gratitude going, yes, thank you. We will set this up for you. And we find out, which I didn't know, there's like a whole this, network this of, is, of Patels who are networking their potential children and as This is a really partners. fascinating part of this. It isn't just like, we found you one person. Yeah, there's a um, list. But there's a whole this massive infrastructure in there and you basically put together your dating resume. They call it the bio-data. And you ship it out to everybody, and they and, and everybody looks at your sheets and goes, "Yeah, no." And you kind of look at it, and he never makes this this uh-uh. this connection. Yeah. But you go, "It's a how is this, How is this different to Match dot com? It's not. How because... is it different to um, J Date? How is it different to or Christian Mingle? It's exactly the same right. thing, but he never says that. And I think it's, it's, it's actually to the benefit of the film. Yeah. It doesn't hit you over the head with that. But we, he also says he's tried those other dating sites as well. But imagine a dating site that is geared for that. But apart from those dating sites, we also see that there is the bio data. It's more like a catalog. It's a much less formal structure. But the thing I kept expecting him to make the connection to, which he did not, because uh, Ravi Patel is an actor, is if you look at the bio, of course, all the information is sort of, you know, uh, grayed out so you can't see any personal details, but it looks a lot like an actor's headshot resume. It really does. It's, you know, it's your face, it's a list of your physical attributes, you know, your height, your weight, your hair color, your complexion, which turns out to be a huge deal. Oh, yes. And, you, you will know, find out a, uh, the, what this yeah. does very subtly is educate you a lot about the minutiae of contemporary Indian culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly um, uh, Americanized Indian <laughs> culture, which is... Uh, uh, <laughs> That's one of the the real strengths of this film, because I think there are still a huge number of people who don't know anything about uh, what it is to be uh, an Indian living in America, or an Indian extraction living in America. It does all those things so subtly. And the the real work that I think he and his his sister do, and and she is a fascinating character in Mm -hmm. her own right, but you get little hints of her, uh, mainly because everything's being shot from her POV. Uh, you get little moments where you get to understand what it is to live with certain cultural apprehensions over your shoulder and to people sure. who expect these things. And it never hits you over the head with them, but they, they're they smart enough to lay them all right. out. And that's really... That's that's a, a nice balance I think a lot of documentaries never quite get. They're either so close to the material that they have to spell everything out Oh, they're so close to the material, they don't understand that well, they've left stuff it works And I think because, that works yeah. really, really well. Here. It works because you see the dynamic at play within the family. I think if it had been like a 60 Minutes piece, it would have been very analytical, perhaps even, not intentionally, but perhaps a bit condescending about like, look at these quaint people and their barbaric customs. 
he understands the humor as a guy who was raised in America. He recognizes how strange this seems to most people, yet as someone who was also at the same time raised within that culture, he respects and understands how it works within that culture, not least because the two people, the married couple he most admires, his parents, are actually... Part, are a, their marriage is a result yeah. of this system, this, and this, he doesn't see how it went wrong for them. This kind of reminds me of when... Uh, <laughs> hey, we're about to get cerebral here, folks. Hang on, hang on. Uh -oh. We'll be back with the fart gag soon. Uh, this reminds me of when Salman Rushdie was talking about mm. why he wrote the Satanic Verses, and he said, you know, I was raised Muslim. And that doesn't mean I was raised a devout Muslim, but I was raised in a background that was so intensely imbued and saturated with the symbolism and the mm -hmm. culture that had come from being a Middle Eastern Muslim that, you know, those those things were just there for me all the time. They're, they're what I think of when I, you know, they're the subtext of everything. But I never believed the religious part of it. So oh. what does it mean to be a, a modern, secular Muslim? Oh. And that was what he was talking about. And in many ways, this is the same thing. It's like, you know, he's not a guy that grew up in the caste system, but he grew up in the consequences and culture created by the traditional caste system and of, and of arranged marriages and everything about that. So what does it mean for him to come out of that environment and to know, well, hang on, yes, there were serious problems with that. And yes, I, you know, I, I grew up in America and want to follow my heart. And by the way, this is a rom-com. This, yeah. this is the thing we've kind of like... Uh, we've I'm got to skirting get back around to. it because I don't it want to give away the end. It, 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 it does have, a, a, in some ways, a very traditional narrative arc of a rom-com, yeah. which is kind of sweet. It um, is. Uh, but it also has the humor of a rom-com. This is funny. It helps that he's actually a very naturally funny guy. Yes. You see, and you see, meeting his parents, you realize where he gets a lot of his sense of humor, and it really helps that. And the fact that he that he has the, the scathing but supportive roommate yeah. in the shape of sister. I think that's, right. that's part of what they did really well here, was they took their story yeah. and said, you know what, this actually fits in the format of a rom-com, and like we can fulfill the roles that are there, and it 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 actually works in that way. This is a really Keita's basically playing, you know, the uh, the 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 Joan Cusack role in yeah, this, you know, this to is, his John Cusack. This strikes such a weird, sweet balancing act. Yeah. It never feels heavy-handed. No. It's always charming. It's a strange little documentary that gets away with what should be a really irksome conceit of this guy going. I'm 30. Fuck it. I'm just going to get my parents to find a find a wife for me. Yeah. And actually, it teaches you something about a a major culture. Teaches you something about integration. Yes. Um, so. And is also funny and sweet, which are like the fact it, it clams that it crams that into 90 minutes. Yeah. Never outstays its welcome and doesn't make you think you're learning something. There's no right. the more you know moment. It, at the it's end. the classic ethnic yeah. story of like. Oh, you know, he's marrying a shitska or whatever the term is, or oh, you're marrying a widow, or you're married someone outside of your culture, outside of your ethnicity, outside of your religion, and that's a. I want to say that's a uniquely American story. I don't believe that's true anymore. If it ever was, I think it's a uniquely modern story where you do have different cultures living side by side, and eventually some of those kids are going to cross the fence, and this asks the question: Can he go back? and live the way his parents would want him to. And again, 
What really makes it work is it's not condescending towards the parents or all the people we meet who support the idea of arranged marriage. It treats them with a lot of love and respect. And while it has that distance where it can look at it and discuss it, it doesn't really pass judgment. You won't feel like, you know, you're being hurtful by watching this movie. It's very, very sweet and yeah. romantic, and I don't want to say anything this is more a, about you, it. This is actually watch. something you could, you know, if you're looking for a, you, you know, you refer to Burnt as, you know, a, a, um, a first date yeah. kind of movie. This is actually a, you know what? You could show this to your parents, and they'd be pretty much absolutely. This is we, you know, so yeah. This is this a first is, date movie. If you already know the woman has some class, yeah. You know, if you don't want to take any chances, you go with Bert. But if you're like, you know what, she's open to some new ideas. Let's try this. Yeah. Talking of open to new ideas, uh, <laughs> it's a movie. Uh, yeah, you could imagine that uh, Ravi's parents. You know, they would have uh, when they would have moved to the states in the sixties. They would have seen some stuff because they are very, very traditional. Very much. Very traditional. They, are, if you see cereal, you would uh, not uh -huh. to be confused with the podcast, but you would go, "Yep, everything in here is exactly the reason why arranged marriages are a really good idea." Uh. Uh, this is a, <laughs> this is a peculiar little artifact. Um, I have very vague memories of seeing this on television years ago. By the way, Skinamax. Probably um, so. This, it's actually based on. Uh, what was originally a series of short stories published in the um, uh, the Pacific Sun um, in Marin County, which was actually gathered together into a, a book by by Simon um, uh, McFadden called "The Serial: A Year in A Year in the Life of Marin County," this and then that was filmed in 1980 um, by uh, as Serial, uh, directed by Bill Persky. Did it come out in 1980? <laughs> yeah, this. I mean, it came out. Was it? It feels like it was made in the late. Either way, it's a very narrow period of time. 1979, 1980. I mean, if you live through that era, you recognize this particular time in America. No, this was, this was put in eight, uh, released in eighty. Directed by Bill Persky, who actually is uh, best known uh, for he was a longtime writer on the Dick Van Dyke Show. <laughs> Uh, directed a hundred episodes of Kate and Alley of all things. You know? So this guy was like had a long history as a TV sitcom guy, and a kind of you know uh, you know within the very precise moral confines that uh, the TV sitcom allowed you to get away uh -huh. with. And he clearly with this went, oh no. I, I'm making a film. I can do nudity. I can show titties. You I can, a lot you, of them. I can curse. This is, you know, to kind. It's kind of hard to synopsize this because it does show. Uh, it does show some of its influence as a series of interlocking short stories. In that it feels very episodic. It has a very large sprawling cast, uh, but it's basically a, a Marin County neighborhood of. What we would look at today, I think, is sort of upper-middle-class people, uh, professionals. Uh, this is the late 70s. Uh, they're still hippies. There are still, you know, countercultural people, gurus, cults, you know, health food fads. And you have a character... Motorbike gangs. And motor... Well, we'll get to that. We'll get but, to that in a moment. I don't want to spoil too much of that, because that's one of the well, best Well, the thing bits. is, you can't actually... You can't, uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, you can't spoil this, because this is... It shows its roots um, in that serialized content by 
being utterly formless. This is a series <coughs> of kind of yeah. free-flowing events about a bunch of people with a lot of money uh, on their hands, a lot of spare time, and they're the kind of people who clearly have taken advantage Every woman in this movie is a housewife, by the way. Yeah, because this is actually Marin County. And all of the men make enough money to support the family. Yeah. You know, so you have bored housewives going, you know, I'll try a fad diet. Or maybe I'll have an affair with my uh, Argentinian dog uh, stylist. Uh, One thing I really... You pointed out that it feels very episodic. And I kind of wished... uh, It's not badly directed at all. But it is formless, and I kind of wish you had someone who was a little bit sharper, like, say, this kind of felt like this would have been a great Robert Altman piece, because I could imagine Altman doing this with a lot of overlapping dialogue and keeping those scenes flowing from one to the other. As as it is, it kind of feels like a lot of disjointed sketches that are just kind of barely strung together. It does ultimately pay off. But what I found fascinating about this, because, I, I mean, you know, I'm I'm... 41 now, so I I was a child during this period. Uh, and so a lot of it looks familiar. But one thing that kept bugging me as I was watching this movie, and really enjoying it, I might add, I kept thinking, why does this feel off to me? Why does this not feel like the 80s that I grew up in? Because, of course, it did, production had to have started in the late 70s, 79, early 80s. This is pre-Reagan, pre-AIDS America. And I grew up in a very Reagan AIDS era America where people in this movie have sex with one another at the drop of a hat. Uh, somebody just meets somebody in a parking lot. It's like, hey, why don't, can I get you some coffee? It's like, no, I don't drink artificial stimulants. It's like, well, uh, you know, I guess a drink. Should we go have sex? Question. Yeah, why don't we just Maybe go to your place and get in bed? I'm like, yeah. And I'm thinking, that is actually that the- happen? That's yeah. almost a word-for-word exchange of dialogue in this movie. And it feels perfectly natural. Uh... I mean, it is, it's actually, we should, I guess, talk a little bit about the plot. Uh, well, such yeah, as it at, is. At the, at the center of it is um, Martin Mull uh, as Harvey Holroyd. Uh, Martin Mull's one of these guys who was just around forever. Um, yeah. He was a actor, musician. Uh, he was on Celebrity Squares for, everywhere. for years and years. Um, apparently, Elvis Costello attributes the phrase... Um, uh, talk, uh, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. Martin Mull came up with that. He's this guy who, like, you kind of recognize from a lot of stuff. He was on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. To me, he's immediately recognizable, having grown up in the 80s. Uh, I actually was wondering, it's like, I haven't seen Martin Mull in anything in forever. And he's really good at this. He's kind of an everyman. Uh, basically, Martin Mull is, and nowadays, you, you really couldn't make this movie nowadays, but Martin Mull is basically this middle-class, middle-aged white dude who is... Married to Tuesday Weld. Married to Tuesday Weld. He's seen just promiscuity and psychoanalysis and trends... (laughs) Excuse me, folks. Take over his entire family, his entire life. And he's the one guy in the movie who's like, this is ridiculous. What are we doing to ourselves? He's almost... It's almost conservative. And there's... One of the first lines you hear is why I say it's like, Oh, Harvey, you have so much rage in you. And while it's very funny, sometimes laugh out loud funny, there is a a, a real kernel of rage building under this movie where you have a character who's like, the 60s, the 70s, all of this nonsense. What are we doing to ourselves? For me, one of the key lines in the movie is like, 
oh, great, you know, lentil, lentils are now cool and it's okay to be an asshole. Yeah. That's basically the 70s. Uh, there is a lot of Brian Eilon in this film. Yeah. This yeah. is the, the interesting thing. You, uh, you kind of get this, <sighs> I think, coolification of the 70s. Um, yeah. And it really started, I think, with things like Last Days of Disco. The, it's like, well, no, it was all great. And then, you know, Reagan, is, Reagan right. came along. It's like, no, it the fun. God, most of this was terrible. The 70s <laughs> were a horrible decade. There were so many things about the 70s that were just, just dismal. Right. And this points out that, you know, that people would take on elements of the counterculture and not go, why are you trying to shake things up? They would just go, okay, well, I can do the same things that I've always done and also sleep with my guru. Right. It, it was a, it basically, promiscuity, permiss- it is the, the advent of the promiscuous, permissive, anything goes, me, decade, yeah. generation. And, you know, it's and I realized watching this, like, you didn't have to make this movie because in a couple of years, you're going to hear about AIDS and you're going to be terrified of propositioning, oh, you know, a cashier at a grocery store and being in bed with her five minutes later. That is no longer an it, option. It's it's also such a, a very much a, a film of its time. Absolutely. Because it's sense of humor. It It's trying for that kind of weird 70s screwball thing. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't always hit. No, uh, it, a lot of the, there's a lot of gags, but there's, there's also a lot, a lot of, of dead space. There's a, also a lot of there are so many characters here who are utterly disposable. I think that was the problem. I think the the script adaptation tried to cram so many people, right. in. you're like, who's that guy? Who's dead? What happened to that person? Yeah. Uh, there is also, and we won't mention this. Yeah. It, it finds a degree of coherence in the final. Yes. It's not even act like eighth of an act, um, which we won't go we won't go into, but. All the nonsense that you've endured is almost justified by the fact that there is one of the greatest, most bizarre celebrity cameos you will ever see. There yes. is somebody who turns up and you'll go, he really would do anything. And not in a, you know, would turn up and you know, blow traps. Once you said it. he'll do anything, you just kind of gave away once they read the cast list. Oh, no. Well, but, they, yeah. Because no, a lot of people will not expect this from this. From I, this I agree. This. And it is to one me, of those it wasn't a you, surprise. Where you but, go, you know, yeah. Well, we, but we, it was an enjoyable we've surprise. We've seen some things. Because I know we've this guy can be a great character actor. And and you suddenly go, yeah. really? We you. are. And, it's, and yeah. that, la- that last... Atlet, because yeah. this is the big the big argument against this film is the is the structure, which is it's very loose. It, yeah. There is also one other thing, and this is a this is something that it's going to be a very specific thing for certain people, and I will tell you now. Okay, folks, there are some people who are really really aware of sound mix, and then there are some people uh-huh. who are not simply aware of sound mix, but if. The lip sync between the between the mouth movements and the ADR is off. It it becomes really distracting. This has the worst ADR, and every single line was re-recorded afterwards. Yeah, and they clearly didn't care. Yeah, it was it is very much an ADR horrible. thing. Horrible. It re- it really drove me. And nuts. to make it worse, and this is, and I think I think this was a was it Olive Films that put this out on DVD, and I think they yeah. put out another one in this pile. There was another movie, and I can't recall if it was the same company that did it, but these are very bare bo- – I mean, we should be lucky just to have this movie because yeah. it's so obscure. It's so old. It's I'm not surprised that it's a bare-bones disc. I'm, but I'm amazed that you find a print sec- in this condition. Yeah. The print's not horrible, but there is 
no subtitles, which is kind of a pet peeve of mine because I had the same thing too. And I was like, I'm not sure I'm grabbing all of this. Uh, let me just put the subtitles on. Well, and, and there were no subtitles. That the, that, uh, the two people, well, actually three people managed to avoid this. And they are Martin Mull, mm-hmm. uh, Tuesday Weld, mm-hmm. uh, and the, uh, the, the celebrity appearance that we will not, dis- will not name because they knew what they were doing. And you see, do sense the rest of them were just like, uh, actually, the one moment, the, the very first introduction of this celebrity cameo. Yeah, it's a bit rough. Uh, what obviously was ADR'd, and it felt really weird because I felt like he was trying to do an accent that was not his own. I, it, at least it was, at least it was ADR'd and the, and the, and the lip sync was in. The rest of them, the lip syncing is just, yeah. it's, painfully bad if you are in any way sensitive to that then this is a film to avoid at all costs just because that's that's just going to drive you bonkers but this is such a fascinating if you really want to know what the what the 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 70s really thought of itself this is a really really good example it it, it felt like a toothless Todd Salons made a version of Three's Company yeah imagine that you know it It, it was it also made me want to go back and rewatch Wait Till Your Father Gets Home I don't know that one do you not remember Wait Till Your Father? Uh, Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. Uh, everybody says that The Simpsons was the original primetime uh, animated series. It wasn't. Oh. Uh, the It was um, uh, Tom Bosley in Wait Till Your Father Gets Home, which was this kind of... Tom Bosley? Tom oh. Bosley voicing the this father figure who... It's the 70s and he's... He's got three kids, and one of them's like this nice, dopey hippie, and the other one's this kind of a, a slightly annoying, uh, you know, overly bright young kid. And then he's got a, a, a daughter who is uh, plus size, but at the time she was like, you know, he was like, you might want to lose some weight. And she's like, no, I'm just big. Just deal with it, Dad. So are you. And it was really fascinating because it was like the first depiction of a, a kind of body positive depiction huh. uh, of a, a larger female character. Uh, and Tom Bosley never... was no one to criticize. Yeah, but no, it's like, yeah, and honestly, um, every family-esque sitcom that has come since then has ripped it off mercilessly. But it got, it kind of has that same aspect of like, the father figure is like, he's kind of coming to terms with the, with the 70s, but at the same time, it just like sees the silliness of them and the, you know, he gets those internal contradictions. And really a lot of what carries this is is Martin Mull. Yeah. He's the, he's by far the most entertaining thing in this. And, you know, yeah. He Tuesday is World is good, but his oh, yeah. part is just And Sally so Kellerman's ir- really good in it. So erratic. Uh, Everybody else is erratically written. I Mull, always like Bill Macy as a character actor I've yeah. always liked from that period. Uh, you know, it, this is a hard movie to synopsize because it doesn't lend itself to that. Yeah. But I do think it's worth seeking out. Normally, I would say that I'm inclined to say this film hasn't aged well, and normally I don't mean that as a compliment, but it's actually a good thing for this movie because, like I said, it's pre-Reagan, it is pre-AIDS, and it is a really interesting time capsule. Even though it's very broad in its targets and its execution, I think there is something very valuable. If if you were too young to remember or you weren't even born yet, if you kind of want to know what your parents and grandparents might have been into if they were open-minded <laughs> liberals in the late 70s. Living in Marin County. Yeah. In this, you know, million-dollar homes. This movie might... Well, you know, not even million-dollar homes. I mean, you know... Well, I don't know. I don't know the rate of inflation, but they do talk about, you know, like the price of gas. There's there's some really good, interesting barbs on uh, on race early on, on feminism, on veganism on consumerism. I mean, basically, it 
all these things that we're still kind of arguing about, in you fact, realize you know, that they were really touching on it back then, even. You know, you know, really what this is, is like when Mad Men finishes... There's also some very homophobic stuff in oh, this yeah, movie. Oh, yeah, the 70s. That's very um, dated now. The But when Mad Men ends is five years before this starts. That's really what it is. It's like yeah. you're kind of going... Yeah, come back in te- come come back in in a few years time and see what and see what you guys have done with this nonsense. Um, talking of a kind of very uh, episodic uh-huh. and segmented. I thought you were uh, going to segue with talking with non talking about nonsense. Talking about nonsense. It's not um, back in in 2013. There was a little anthology film came out called All Hallows Eve. <sighs> Some people really liked it. Some people were like, eh. and it was basically the mechanism. Uh, this guy, it has a clown forcing you to watch. Right. Three, I think it was just three segments, um, and then horrible things happened at the end. It was okay, you know. It didn't really light anybody's world on fire. Um, now we have All Hallows Eve two. Yeah, clearly uh, made enough money to justify a sequel. Well, you know, I, well we're in a good era for anthologies. Um, this takes what the first one did and goes, hmm. So let's have the same basic idea that. Somebody in a Halloween mask turns up in front of somebody's apartment, leaves a, a battered up VHS in front of her door. Fortunately, she has a VHS player. Yeah. And then uh, she plays it rather than, you know, throwing it away or calling the cops or anything that a sensible human being would be, because all you're doing is a framing mechanism here. And then she watches, well, nine horror shorts. Yeah. And the thing is that these are horror shorts. Very They're short. not segments within a film. These are horror shorts that were shot already, uh, some of which I had actually already seen on the festival circuit, which are then put together with this not particularly interesting, very generic, slightly rips off VHS. And a very lazy framing device. It really is. It's weird. Because all that this indicates is we've kind of reached this weird point where people want to see anthologies and they want to see short stories. But they don't want. No, you, it'd be very hard to sell anyone a disc which just had nine shorts on. I think that's it, a statement about the market rather than anything else. Well, I think you just answered your own question in a way, though. Well, negated your own question, perhaps. If people really want to see anthologies, if they really want to see shorts, then you could sell them shorts. No, no, that's this the, you has could, to be built. This no, is marketed the, as you a can, program. You can sell them. An, you can sell them an anthology. You can't sell them a disc which is just nine shorts. Which is the weird they, thing. They don't want the shorts that badly. Well, I think they want the shorts, but then they want something around it, which is such a weird little diversion. I mean, even funny, when you get to the closing credits, each film, they just bolt their closing credits yeah. up, which explains with it, like, they're completely different fonts. Oh, yeah, it's completely <laughs> like, everything. It's just like, you couldn't, you know, couldn't you have just gone to the minimal investment of giving them unified closing titles yeah they, just to no, do that the, the answer is nope, no no that's... that being said despite how it's put together and packaged the individual shorts themselves aren't bad there's some really good ones in here i mean there's really nothing horrible most of these films are about 10 to 12 minutes long maybe a few of them i think are quite effective and every there's nothing in here that feels like it was done amateurishly uh you have good performances you have good cinematography a few cases, you have some really good gore. Uh, in fact, some of the stronger episodes, I thought, had rather little gore, rather little effects. Yeah. That they Actually, just the, built atmosphere and tension. The 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 first one, um, which I've seen on the, I've seen, I've seen at least at least one festival, possibly two. Uh, Jack Attack. 
which is which is really wonderful cartoonishly gory yeah. tale of what happens on uh, Halloween when and, and uh, it's absolutely when the pumpkin plotless. gets it reversed. Oh, it's absolutely plotless. But it's really there to highlight some great gore. And it does it wonderfully. Yes. I'm like, you know what? I mean, beautifully shot. some of the other ones, if there's a problem with this, is it the shorts are so tonally disparate yeah. that sometimes that it actually works against it. I mean, again, I think it would have been better almost if you get to go, this is a shorts program rather than an anthology because you're just going, well, hang on, you're expecting me to believe that somebody made these shorts and now she's watching them and some, some guy in a mask is just hanging around. Rather than some like VHS, which goes, well, okay, things are going to look a little r- bit rough, but they're stylistically similar. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, it really feels like, well, hang on, somebody's just found a whole bunch of really nice little shorts. You know, my, my suspicion is that she's actually being stalked by a uh, film festival programmer <laughs> who has access to all these really great shorts. And like, I make people watch them. Nobody ever goes to the shorts packages. There's some really great... There's a couple in here yeah. where there's one that is uh, a father and son driving out... That was one of my favorite ones. ...to contend with something in the woods. And it... It works so well because it, it understands what, for me, a horror short does really well, which is ambiguity. Right. Because if you have ambiguity, then you can test morality more, which I think a, a good horror short either has to really blow you away with gore, really blow you away with humor, which I think, you know, so, Jack Attack does yeah. both of those because it's funny and gory, or it could, or it, it goes something really weird and arcane yeah. and unsettling is happening. And, and, and the that one, one you mentioned the has the least in terms of effects. Yeah. I mean, whereas I mentioning... the one that kind of it... tries to push its budget, and I forget what it's called now, it's a bunch of little kids trick-or-treating in a kind of post-apocalyptic future. It starts off really strong, but then towards the latter half, they try to put all their budget into some gore and makeup effects and CGI, and it just kind of crumbles and destroys the atmosphere they built up. But the one with uh, the father and son in the truck, uh, very few angles, no set. They're just out in the woods. There's some snow. There's a lot of atmosphere and a sense of mounting dread and a lot of ambiguity, as you point out. And to me, that's a great example of what a horror short, or any short, can do. Yeah, uh, It's the ones that kind of try to be a little bit more than they are that tend to fail. And... Really, compared to some of the anthologies we've seen, this is one of the more solid ones so yeah. far. There's actually some really good. There's some bad. really really good stuff. I, here. I just think that you're right. The 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 the, the framing device is lazy, and they never play anywhere with the VHS imagery. It's just yeah. I don't believe that she's watching. She even says, "Oh, VHS, you know, it's better this way. It feels more real." And then we cut to something that some, was shot on a nice red one. Something that yeah, there's some you stuff know. that I'm like, yeah, that's a GoPro. Um, yeah, the, yeah. The mechanism doesn't work, but the shorts are really, really strong. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I've said this before. I think we're in a great era for anthologies. I think mm-hmm. you know, kicking off with VHS, which really did, you know, really encouraged people to go out and do something interesting. The ABCs of Death series. Um, we got Southbound coming out very soon, which is phenomenal. I think that's one of the best anthol- mm-hmm. horror anthologies in the past five years I think we're in a really good space yeah. um, yeah, you know, what about this is Mexico which we reviewed not too long oh ago. yeah and yeah. I, you know, this has just some really great solid little shorts mm-hmm. that are almost betrayed 
by the frame mechanism. Yeah. So go in thinking of it as a bunch of shorts and just kind of fast forward over the the, the twenty seconds of frame mechanism. And just and, you know, one thing that bugged me about it because we see this in a lot of movies, and, and again, it kind of has that sort of ring vibe. Like here's this mysterious tape you're not supposed to watch. Why are people so fucking terrified of VHS tapes? I mean, oh look, it's staticky. I get it. I'm like, why don't it's like, haven't they seen artifacting on, like, CDs, DVDs, on, you know, streaming media files? Which brings me to the last short in this film, which, again, this was another, I think, same distributor. Didn't bother with any subtitles on this, but it's okay. I mean, I knew, oh, God, I knew enough Spanish to get through it, but you have to read. And I, I kind of feel bad for uh, anyone who's not familiar with Spanish because you're reading a lot of Facebook texts uh, in Spanish uh, but it's really one of the stronger shorts, and it also, just when I was thinking, why doesn't anybody utilize, you know, artifacting from video, from modern day digital video for effect? They do that in this movie. So instead of just cheesy, you know, you know static uh, and stuff, you get like that it, blocks of, it of glitchy does. displays. Chris, help me. Uh, terrible movie that was out, uh, came out recently where, where everybody's. Uh, communicating on Skype. Oh. Uh, yes. uh, fuck. Yeah. It sucked. Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, somebody's actually done an entire an entire feature which actually pulls that trick yeah. um, and it didn't work. And this actually does that much better. Yeah. Uh, this actually is really effective. But, like you said, there's no subtitles. And my Spanish is, is minimal. And I was, I, you know, I followed it but there was some bits where I'm like, oh, that was what that meant. You know, it was like 10 seconds behind. Yeah. And it's like, it's just lazy. Just subtitle. Well, it's cheap. I yeah. mean, they, they didn't spend it. Think about this. <coughs> this. Their only expense, I assume, was shooting that framing sequence. The rest of it, I don't know. I hope they got paid. But the rest of the filmmakers just allowed their material to be used. And it's a very lazy approach yeah. to putting together an anthology. And as you pointed out, they didn't even spend any money on uh, ending credits. Unfriended. That was what it was called. Unfriended. They just Thanks, showed their, the, the credits from the original, which I understand if they had shown those during the course of the movie itself, it would have totally destroyed the flow. But with so much totally inconsistent material, it didn't have much flow to begin with. Yeah. You know, I think, th I think what, what this really needs is like a – this needs like an Elvira or a Crypt Keeper – don't give me some phony baloney disposable framing device uh, or narrative trick. Just get a get a presenter whose job is like, and here's our next scary clip. You this, know, this that is would the weird fine. thing about this film. You know, that you, at the end of the day, you come back to it. The, the, the core issue is the the shorts are great. The film's okay. Yes, which is so weird to say, but really, this is something where I'm like. I actually wish they almost had it as an alternate feature where yeah. you could just watch it as a short. It's not better than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Individually, they are stronger. There's a few on here that probably could be cut together and work very well side by side. I think there was a very deliberate uh, attempt to start with their one of their strongest uh, oh, segments start and with end with one of the strongest segments. It gets a little, you know, iffy in the middle. A little variable. But nothing's terrible in this. I mean, like I said, the one that I, that I think kind of got away from themselves was when they tried to go further than their budget would allow. But up to then, it was quite good. And, uh, no, you could do a lot worse than this. This is a really good, strong slate of films. 
if you went to like a 48 hour film, no, 48 wouldn't be this good, but if you went to like a horror short film festival and this was the evening's program, you would be satisfied. But at least there you wouldn't have to sit through this dopey uh, framings device. Well, total change of, uh, of pace, um, but still staying on a horror track. Uh, Hannah Dama. Oh, boy. The origin, um, which is a... Of what? <sighs> the origin of what? Is this well, the this... first in a series? Well, this, it I want to seem... know so I can avoid the future installments. <laughs> it does seem that we're... we're you know, there's a possibility they are trying to uh, kickstart a horror franchise here. Uh, which... Yeah... Uh, yeah. I don't see it. Uh, the... Let, let's at least describe yeah, the, what this is. I don't want to get well, too bad on it. It starts off as you know. a... It actually begins as yeah. part of the modern wave of Asian dramas exploring how incredibly cruel and brutal modern Asian um, schools are. Oh, oh and believe I mean, honestly, me, this... if, if, you know, if I would initially, from the way that the school is presented... If it wasn't for the uniforms, I would have said this was Korean because yeah. there is a you know there are a lot of Korean filmmakers who are going uh, this is something's wrong you yeah. we you know something is wrong with how our schools are operating the caste system within it bullying the, the the rampant disregard by the teachers the abuse is completely out of control yeah. now that's really heavy in Korean in Korean cinema in Japanese cinema it's not as present. Um, it's definitely in there to a certain degree. I find it this, telling that... Oh, this, go, this goes for it in full, grueling mechanism. I find it telling that nowhere in this movie do we ever see any of the teachers teaching. No. We see slogans No, no, we do, we do see very wall. briefly at the beginning, but very but, yeah. So, basically, uh, and I can't recall the name of the lead character, because uh, I don't have the screen in front of me. Mizuki. Is it, what is it? Mizuki. Mizuki. Uh, played by... Uh, uh, Rina uh, Sukaragi. And very ably so, but uh, does a very good committed performance to this. But we have a character named Mizuki. Uh, she is the new girl at school. She kind of has a scandalous past that we find out about. And very soon we realize that she and her small group of friends, which is really just two people, are brutalized by not only her classmates, but by the teachers themselves. And not only ways physical and emotional but sexual as well and eventually uh this will build to a head and well i don't want to give away too much of it but well, it's right the, there on the fucking cover uh, the, her brain will explode and a flower will sprout out of her skull and everything will erupt into a literal orgy of violence well this is the this is the weird and i just made this movie sound interesting but it's not <laughs> this is the this is the thing that's very very bizarre uh, about this film. There is an implication that exactly that happens. There's also an implication that this may actually just be the revenge dream of one of the other characters. Yeah, that I'm you, calling that bullshit it's read that. Well, no, it's readable that way as well because something very horrible happens to one of the other characters. Um, and you could, you know, this, you know, it's, it's hard to tell exactly what the director is going for um i'll agree with that yeah um I, it is very is... repetitive 
we see one character after another brutalized, and you think, oh, okay, well, here's the inciting incident. And then they get brutalized again. And then they get brutalized again. And rather than building up suspense, and, you know, you're waiting for that cathartic moment, and about 30 minutes into the movie, I was ready for it, and then I realized this movie's only about a third of the way done. It's only going to get worse, and it continues to get worse. And I think the director, uh, I don't know what the goal was, but for me, it's like, you know what? At some point, you are no longer interested in exploring this theme of violence. You just want to show violence. Yeah. You well, know, it, it felt by, more uh... exploitive than, than, uh, than, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. But... Insightful? Yeah. Yeah. It's directed by uh, Sato uh, Hisayusa. Uh, who was one of the four devils of the Pink Aiga movement. Uh, the, yeah, this guy who basically, when Japan started getting a little bit more liberal in what you could show in terms of pornography, but you couldn't really still actually do porn, they started doing very weird meta- yeah, metaphysical, metatextual, uh, very complicated psychodrama with a sexual component but generally dealing with kind of uh, very outre perversions and um, sexual predilections. Yeah, yeah that these guys were really, really far out there. I mean, they weren't... You're not heading into uh, into the, like, American guinea pig uh, realms of, of psychosexual perversion and uh, torture, but you are definitely dealing with some weird, dark stuff. So I think in some ways, you know, you look at him from that context, this makes a lot more sense i'm not sure that he succeeds because what what works about this is you know the 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 actress that plays mizuki um the that uh her uh kiri her friend who uh has obviously been through some deep emotional trauma beforehand uh played by uh miko shakamura uh i'm sorry uh uh, miko uh shimamura um you know these are kind of the classic, iconic, slightly rebellious and slightly and, and timid characters of Japanese school movies. Uh, but they, you put them through so much, and then the payoff of the revenge seems so tepid. Yeah, um, and every other character has been re- revealed to be so horrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it basically, if, if you're coming out, of, if his intention is to say that authority in Japan is so abusive that it turns a blind eye to the sins committed by children, because then it could commit far worse crimes itself. And there are moments where you look at stuff and just go, "This is just disturbing," and I don't feel there's a direction to where it's no. going. This uh, is a pornographer a with pretensions. That's the problem. I feel like this is a guy who's trying to, and if you look at, if you watch the special features and you listen to the director and you listen to the cast, there, one thing I was grateful to see that everybody on set seemed to be having a good time. Thank God none of them were brutalized. But they talk about this film like they're all very committed to this message and bullying is a very important topic and they're very serious about it and we hope that it changes people's lives. And then you watch the film itself. This is a guy who is I don't know. He's trying to speak a different language, but it is all inflected through a pornographer's point of view, and it fails in that respect for me. So it's like you can't wag your finger in judgment at me with one hand while the other hand is shoved down your pants. You know, 
at some point it was just like, okay, you are just now wallowing in this. You've got about 30 minutes of story and you stretched it out to 90 minutes and all you're doing is wallowing in this. And, and at one point, because I did commit to watching it through the end because I had to see what was going to happen. But, you know, at one point you have a character who is uh, a male character who is sexually abused by two of his male teachers. Later on, the meekest group, uh, the, we, the weakest and meekest member of the group of friends uh, is raped by those same two guys. And so uh, uh, the young man is tied. He's forced to watch this. It's horrible. You can't believe the teachers are this terrible. They, finally, they leave after they've had her their way with her in a very graphic way. She gets up. She unties him. She falls back on the bed. He's weeping and beaten up. And he does the only thing he knows how to do, which is have sex with her. And I'm like, you know what? If you're a storyteller, a filmmaker, whatever... And you you think what you need to do to console a woman who's just been brutally gang-raped is to have sex with her? I'm sorry. You've lost all right to have any kind of moral pretensions. You don't know how sex or abuse really works, and you get off on it. And you're just getting off on feeling superior and preaching to me about how bullying is bad. Maybe there was a good intention there, but it is terribly executed. Yeah. Well, yeah... But hey, folks, some people find this shit fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. In a way, I almost hope that if you're a sick misogynist, you might enjoy this movie. I I almost hope that there is a. Don't forget, I'll never shake your hand. No, well, I almost hope there is a Hanadama too, because there is an interesting idea in here of of the uh, of the ability to, you know, after having been the puppet of everybody else's manipulations to then have that power to turn that back upon them. That would be really interesting. This doesn't do it well. I'd, I'd, I'd almost wish that, like, you know, you go, 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 ah! You know, in the same way that, you know, uh, All Hallows' Eve 1 wasn't particularly good, All Hallows' Eve 2 has got a lot better material. Um, yeah, I no, this doesn't, this doesn't work. It, it leaves you feeling just uncomfortable. Um, yeah. at, at best. And, and I don't think they're trying to make you feel <laughs> uncomfortable. I mean, I think obviously... They are, but just not in the way that not they, the way they want. doing it. Yeah. Well, and now, you know what? Oh, Sh- trying to shift gears. Time. Well, not, well, we're, di- we're actually ways, shifting into a higher gear here. In some ways, not shifting gears. Um, and actually, this is also um, our our giveaway. It is also undoubtedly my pick of the week, and mine too. Uh, with, and without, I never thought I'd say that of a movie like this, but it uh, was my pick of the week. And in some ways, this kind of you know, it's odd because we, you know, Hanadama does. Uh, is a Japanese film that does squalid immorality and and revenge badly. Yeah. Uh, the world of Kanako yeah. does squalid immorality and revenge really, 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 really incredibly well. well. And uh, boy, these two films just—if nothing else—told me it is. I would not want to be a Japanese teenager in high school because based on these two films, that there's nothing worse. Yeah, uh, the the basic plot here is that uh, uh, an ex detective, um, uh, uh, Akiro uh, uh, Fujishima, played by uh, Yoji uh, uh, Yakusho, uh, is contacted by his ex wife, who tells him, "Your uh, our daughter Kanako, played by uh, Naga Komatsu, and shown uh, for you know initially just shown in flashback, has disappeared. She's been gone for several days. Is she with you?" And he goes, "Well." 
No, she's clearly not with me. Um, so he starts going back down the role of being a, a police officer, of trying to See. pretend to have the life that he used to have, yeah. which this question of... He clearly is culpable in the destruction of his own life, yeah. but the question of who else is culpable yeah. in it? Like, are there, is anybody innocent? And he, he goes in with this belief initially of like, well, something bad has happened to my daughter, I have to go find her, this innocent figure. And then he finds out that, you know, she has become involved with unsavory characters. And we won't go, we won't go any further on, 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 that, on that, that plot element. There is, honestly, what this reminded me of uh, and I actually mentioned this to somebody who works with Draft House Films. And he went, who put this out? And they, he went, yes, yes, absolutely. This is a Japanese get Carter, and not yeah. the kind of stylish, oh, yeah. you know, stylish violence and Michael Caine yeah. being suave. But that this is a journey into uh, corruption and immorality, and a central character who initially you think he's as bad as they get. This guy is a drunk. He is abusive, he is violent, he is kicked off the force, he is a rapist, he is a scumbag. And then you go, you know what? He may well not be the worst thing on this yeah. planet. He is, he's Michael Caine's Get Carter crossed with David Thewlis's character from Naked. Yes. I mean, this is, you know, he is an absolutely loathsome character. You know, when we meet this man, he is a disgraced detective, he's been kicked off the force... He's lost his wife. He's lost his daughter, whom he's hardly ever seen. He's an alcoholic. He is under on medication. He's in therapy. He's a total wreck of a human being living in he's filthy He's also not squalor. very good at investigating. This is one of the things that comes out, that he's he has to get beaten up about 15 times before he actually starts putting the pieces well, together on well, what's happening around him. That's the thing that's kind of fascinating with it. One, because he's the protagonist, we naturally just want to kind of side with him because we're really not given anybody else's viewpoint except for one exception which I'll get to later uh, primarily this guy's a human punching bag this guy just takes abuse and part of what's fascinating is you kind of root for him because he is the guy that keeps getting knocked down and does not have enough sense to just be dead he gets up and takes on the mob he takes on you know, high school gangs, he takes on drug dealers. He takes dealers, high school he gangs and on, loses. Yeah. This guy is really not very but good But he still job. gets up and, you know, really beyond the point where it's like, this guy should be dead by now. But you kind of enjoy him getting up every time. And it doesn't hurt that this film is directed with so much brio and energy. I mean, it, everything from like a funk soundtrack to cheesy pop songs to, you know... Uh, anime sequences to an opening credits that recall spaghetti westerns and 70s exploitation films. This movie does get, could get, very repetitive, very brutal, and just needlessly nihilistic. It commits all of the same sins that Hamadana does. The problem is Hamadana has none of the virtues of this film. This film revolves a a, a, revolves around a horrible, despicable, loathsome character. In any other movie, he would be the villain. However, it's done so well, and it's so interesting, that you go along with it. Well, I think the difference is that, you know, uh, Hanadama was directed by a 
former porn director. Um, this is directed by uh, Tetsuya Nakashima, who actually was um, nominated for the Academy yeah. Award for Best Foreign Language Film in 2010 for Confessions. And this, <laughs> this is one of my favorite weird facts of the day when you watch this film and go, well, yes, there's a, there's a given. He was actually originally going to direct the... Uh, um, big screen adaptation of Attack on Titan, but, quote, left the project due to differences with the rest of the production team. No shit! No (laughs) shit! I would love to see his take on Attack on Titan. I would love to see his take on pretty much anything. Dear God, give this man man a ring sequel. I would love to see him do anything, but this is, yo, this is a, this is a master craftsman at work putting together a, a initially... The, you know, the first 10 minutes are really short, choppy, jumping backwards yeah. and forwards. You're oh, there's three different weather. time frames. Yeah. And one other narrator narrator that I meant to talk about, there is a young teenager who kind of, we see his flashbacks begin as anime sequences, but then we find out there is a student, he's only ever identified as I, uh, who has encounters with, uh, with uh, Kanako as well. And, you know, he's kind of a running sort of secondary protagonist throughout this narrative. And then there's Kanako herself, who we'll get to know a little bit more as we get to learn more who she is. She becomes a fascinating character, I think, the less you know about her. Yeah. Because that's really what this is about, is about her father trying to not just find her... But find out who she is and what right. has happened to her and what his culpability in everything that has transpired uh, in her life because he failed to be there. Yeah. Or, you know, what, you, know, the, the, you know, his failure to be a good father, his father failing to be a presence. Or did he improve things by being being absent? I mean, I mean he, I he think was there's a even terrible a, father. I think there's even a genetic component. Yeah, to, this is this. this is a yeah, this is a, a really um, extraordinary little film. We cannot recommend it highly yeah. enough. As we said, uh, it's both our pick of the week and it's our giveaway. I cannot yeah. remember the last time we had a, a pick of the week and giveaway. So yeah. this really and, and I should say th- this was put out by Draft House Films and. Believe me, guys, if you want to get this film and you want to be part of this giveaway, this is a really sweet package. Oh, it's a lovely package. It, it's got a beautiful 28-page booklet that has some film stills. It has a very insightful uh, article uh, written about the film. It's also got some behind-the-scenes uh, making of the, the mini poster uh, with sketches and things. And it also a has a, little, a lovely little mini poster that's fold out. It's got some great behind-the-scenes features that are really interesting and informative and, and just a beautiful bu- set all around. I mean, this is, this is a great winner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you so, may be disgusted. Don't this, by the way, definitely s- not to watch with mother, not to watch with you. We started with, okay. We started with the, with burnt, which I called the low risk first date movie. If you take someone to see this on a date, you have to be very confident because that person is either going to be a keeper or she is going to run screaming in terror from you. This is this is this is a uh, porn on the first day to a taxi driver kind of yeah. kind of uh, yeah kind exactly. Of so, how you win? This this really just uh, in fact jealous you guys get to take this one home because uh, you know, if this hadn't been pick of the week, this would be staying in my permanent collection. Uh, to win, you have to run over five yakuza in an old car. No. Um Okay, 
what you have to do is you have to follow us on Twitter at one of us net. Uh, use the hashtag uh, Kanako giveaway. That's K A N A K O giveaway. And oh, what do they have to do? What are they? What are, I already said what I wanted to see. No, I you cannot see a bunch have of a, No, please. Okay, please, if you please, can't dear, find Yakuza, find somebody please, else. Dear, on dear listeners, do not run five people over. I uh, said Yakuza. They're not people. <coughs> no, I, yeah, Yakuza's have have parents who love them too. All right, fair enough. They may not have all their fingers, but uh, they have parents. Ah, uh, no. We want you to answer this question, Marco. You're you're on the spot. Come oh, on. okay. Yeah, your turn. What's the best first date movie ever? Ooh, good one. Good one. And then that, of course, is entirely up to Chris. Yep. That, that, he did. will judge your answer. Yeah, but this is this is a, a spectacular film. You really, really need this in your collection. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, yeah, as we said, follow us, one of us net, on Twitter. Use the hashtag Kanako Giveaway, K-A-N-A-K-O Giveaway. And what's the best first date movie well, you know, told you it was going to be the shortest. It wasn't. It may not have been the shortest in time. Definitely the shortest in the uh, number of titles. Yeah. But I think we uh, really gave you guys something to chew on. Some really good stuff this week. Don't forget, look down below. You can buy any of these titles directly from Amazon. It helps the site if you if you buy it from, uh, through these links. Uh, thanks again uh, to our new affiliate sponsors, Sideshow Collectibles and Fandango. Click through uh, to uh, buy tickets from uh, any film uh, on Fandango. Um, uh, if you want to find out what films are out there, please nip over elsewhere on the site and uh, look at the highly suspect reviews where we review pretty much everything that's coming out this week, next week, and forever and ever onwards. Uh, and thank you again to our subscribers. You can check out how to become a subscriber and get access to all kinds of exclusives elsewhere on the site. Uh, Marco, you know what? That's it. That is it. Thanks so much, thanks so much again for being here. It's always, always a pleasure. And the pleasure was all mine, sir. So, how to wrap up in the in the way that we always always do? No releases too big, no releases too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review them all. Thank you so much, and good night. Good night.